Well, good morning. Um, I've been thinking um, along the lines of uh, here recently of how God intervenes in our life. And um, so I, I gave a message quite a number of years ago along those lines. But uh, I don't think most of you are here, and the rest of you I don't think could remember it because it was 1994. Uh, so it was a while back. <clears throat> I think I had hair then, maybe. But I don't know. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I've been thinking about it recently just because some things that I've noticed and been aware of. And, and the scripture has a lot to say about God coming suddenly and intervening in the lives of individuals and in the lives of people collectively in the nations. And um, if you're a Christian here today, you know that's absolutely true, that God comes suddenly. Your eyes are open. You see things you haven't seen before. So if you're a Christian, you know what I'm talking about. However, it's good to be reminded of these things so that we can, it builds our faith, and I think you'll see that as we go through here. But I want to talk about three areas in particular, general areas, that uh, I hope will be an encouragement. It's a warning, but it's also an encouragement. And the three areas are God coming suddenly in judgment. And then God coming suddenly to show mercy to those that aren't seeking him. And then the last point, God coming unexpectedly to Christians as they're seeking him and as they're just going about their business. God coming unexpectedly with Special visits from the Lord. So those are the three general areas, and I'll start with this negative one, but it's an important one, and that is God's coming suddenly in judgment. You see it in the scripture, and I'm going to just focus on a couple of areas, a nation or a group of people, and then coming suddenly on a person for individual sins. And um, so this first section, judgment of a nation or a group of people, and you see it if you'll turn to Isaiah chapter 30, that'll be the first place we'll look up. And I'm going to refer to a lot of scriptures today. I'm not going to read all of them. Some of them I'm going to paraphrase, but I'll give you the references if you want to go back and read it yourself. But... Uh, In this account, the Lord is saying that he's going to come in an instant to judge his people like like you take a jar and smash it. Instantly, it's broken. That's what he's going to talk about. And the reason he gives for the people that he's uh, judging is they have rejected his word. They've made alliances with other nations, which he told them not to do, so they disobeyed. They turned to worship other gods, and they trusted in oppression and guile. I want to explain that for maybe some of the people who might not understand that. When you think about oppression, it's it's a power over others. You oppress them. You have power over them. That's one, one way of looking at it. Guile, when you look that up, crafty deception. Now you'll see this as we, we get into this verse and read it, how this comes up. In verse 12, I want to start in verse 12. Therefore, this is Isaiah thirty twelve. Therefore, thus says the Holy One Israel, since you have rejected this word, in other words, my word, And you have put your trust in oppression and guile. That's what my translation says, in oppression and guile. 
<clears throat> and have relied on them. I'll just stop there. So they've rejected God. They've rejected his word. They've relied on their own strength and on their own craftiness. <clears throat> Therefore, this iniquity will be to you like a breach about to fall, a bulge in a high wall whose collapse comes suddenly in an instant, <clears throat> whose collapse is like the smashing of a potter's jar. Think about that. Smashing of a potter's jar, so ruthlessly shattered that a shard will not be found among its pieces to take fire from the hearth or scoop water from the cistern. So he gives two pictures here. The Lord gives two pictures to illustrate the suddenness of his judgment on his people for their sin. <clears throat> now, you need to remember, let me just backtrack. When God, we talks about God's judgment, God does, isn't a type of God who just flies off, his, flies off the handle in a rage of anger because he can't control himself. The Bible talks about God being long-suffering. He's patient. The prophets have come to children of Israel. They've told them, repent, turn from their ways, turn from these idols. But they resisted. They, re they refused. So judgment comes. Now, we don't know when it comes, but when it comes, it's coming suddenly, he says. Now, the pictures he gives... Picture a dam. It's got this big wall, water pushing on one side of it. And pretty soon there's a little breach and a bulge starts to form. And you see it. It's frightening because when that breaks, it breaks suddenly and there's destruction. That's the picture he's given. Takes a picture of a jar, a potter's jar. He doesn't, not just dropping it and you have big shards so you can go and scoop out the fireplace or you can scoop up some water out of the cistern. No, he says it's going to be ruthlessly shattered, smashed to little pieces. The suddenness of God's judgment on his people because they reject his word, they rely on themselves, and they turn to other gods. <clears throat> Jeremiah says the same thing. You don't need to turn here. I'll just paraphrase it to you. But it's exactly the same thing. Jeremiah 19. The Lord tells Jeremiah, <clears throat> go and buy a potter's vessel. Go and buy a jar, potter's jar. And then get the elders of the people. And then get the, it says, uh, I think it says in here, the seniors of the priesthood. <clears throat> So he's telling them, go get these, these elders, get these senior priests, and then go to this certain location that he tells Jeremiah to go to. And then he says, in front of the people, I want you to take and smash that jar and tell them that's how suddenly my judgment is going to fall upon this people, Judah, for their idolatry. He specifically identifies idolatry there in Jeremiah. So that's God's judging his own people for their wickedness because they refuse to turn and follow him. They refuse to repent of their sins. And judgment comes. And when it comes, it may be long coming, but when it comes, that's what the Bible's saying, when it comes, it's going to be sudden. <clears throat> he does the same with Babylon. Now, Babylon had taken, as part of their judgment, Israel's judgment, they were taken captive by Babylon. And the Lord tells Babylon that they're going to be destroyed because of the treatment, that how they treated the children of Israel. Now, God gave the children of Israel to them for judgment, but they mistreated them. Turn to um, Isaiah 47. <clears throat> we'll look at this one. Um, and it, the whole section here in Isaiah 47 is lament for Babylon, because God's going to judge Babylon. And then I'm going to just pick up and read 6 through 11. 
I was angry with my people. I profaned my heritage. And you gave them and gave them into your hand. In other words, God's saying, I gave my people into your hand. You did not show mercy to them. On the aged, you made your yoke very heavy. Yet you said, this is Babylon, I will be queen forever. These things you did not consider nor remember the outcome of them. Now then, hear this, you sensual one who dwells securely, who says in your heart, I am, and there is no one beside me. Think of the arrogance. I will not sit as a widow, nor no loss of children. Things are going to be okay for us. But these two things will come on you suddenly in a day. Loss of children and widowhood. They will come on you in full measure in spite of your many sorceries and in spite of the great power of your spells. Your magic isn't going to help you when I bring judgment, is what he's saying. You felt secure in your wickedness and said, no one sees me. This is amazing to me. Your wisdom and your knowledge, they have deluded you. They've affected your thinking. You're deceived. For you have said in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. But evil will come on you, which you will not know how to charm away. And disaster will fall on you, for which you cannot atone. And destruction will about which you do not know, will come on you suddenly. So again, the way they treated God's people when God gave them over, and the arrogance of the the leaders of Babylon, what can happen to us? I mean, we're Babylon. And suddenly, God brings destruction on the nation. Jeremiah says exactly the same thing in Jeremiah 51. We won't turn there. I'll just read you this one verse. Babylon has fallen and broken. Wail over her. Bring balm for her pain. Perhaps she may be healed. Suddenly, Babylon is destroyed. Well, that's a nation of Babylon. We've got children of Israel. We've got the nation of Babylon. What about in the days of Noah? We know what happened with that situation, don't we? God instructed Noah to build an ark because there was so much wickedness in the land that he was going to spare Noah and his family. Now, it took Noah a long time to build that ark. And God was patient with the people. This is what uh, 1 Peter 3.20 says. The patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark. Now, I don't know how long it took them to build the ark. But I know it took a long time to build the ark. Many, many years to build the ark. Peter also, in 1 Peter 2, refers to Noah as a preacher of righteousness. So you get the idea that all these years that Noah's building that ark, he's preaching to the people, telling them to repent. Destruction's coming. Repent. I'm sure, just like today, because it says, as in the days of Noah, just like today, mocking, ridicule, making fun of, laughing, jokes about the old man building the boat. I'm sure that took place. But one day when Noah got into the ark and the Lord shut the door, suddenly it started to rain. Long time building up to it. God being patient, waiting, waiting. But when it happened, it happened suddenly. That day. You see the same with Lot. God sends an angel down to rescue Lot out of Sodom, the wicked, wicked city. And 
goes down and he says, you've got to get out of here. The angels tell him, you've got to get out now. So they pull him out, basically, and go up into the hills. And as soon as they're safe, immediately destruction on Sodom and Gomorrah in that region for their wickedness. Quickly. Jesus alludes to this very account of Noah and Lot. And if you look in Luke 17, it's talking about the Lord's second coming, his coming again, the day of the Lord. And I'm going to start in verse 24. We could read the whole passage, but I'm going to just start in verse 24. It says, For just like lightning, when it flashes out of one part of the sky and shines uh, to another part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day. Like lightning. Walk along and there's a flash of lightning. It's sudden. It's unexpected. But first, he says, he, first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. This is Jesus talking. Now, just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. Just as in the days of Noah. Just as in the days of Lot. People were just living their life. Just going about. God's irrelevant. We're planning. There's going to be a marriage. We're building. Putting seed in the ground. We're planting. Looking forward to the harvest. Suddenly. It's like that. It's over. That's the way it's going to be, he says, when the Son of Man returns. Paul alludes to this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. He says, For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night, unexpected, suddenly. You don't expect the thief to come, or you'd have guards out. It's unexpected, it's sudden. While they are saying peace and safety, everything's okay with us, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. You know this. Most of the world today lives as if God does not exist. God is irrelevant to them. Most of the world, God is irrelevant. They're not thinking about God coming back, the Lord coming back, and judgment on the earth. They're not thinking that. You know why? They don't believe it. They're not thinking about it. They don't believe it. Just like in Noah's day. Be good to ponder these things that the Lord is returning. Okay, that's groups of people or nations. But how about personal sins? God judge personal sins that way? Well, he's got some things to say about it. Proverbs 6, verse 12 says a worthless person a wicked man is one who walks with a perverse mouth who winks with his eyes who signals with his feet who points with his finger 
kind of a shifty character, who with perversity in his heart continually devises evil. That's what he's thinking about all the time. He spreads strife. Therefore, his calamity will be sudden, instantly. Look at the words. Sudden, instantly. He will be broken, and there will be no healing. Now, just a, a word of warning. We don't know when that will be. That's in God's hands when that judgment comes, and he says there's no remedy. There's no healing. We continue to plead with men to repent. We continue to pray that God would change their hearts. But, brethren, there is a time coming for that person when they've crossed the line. We don't know where it is, so we continue on praying. But in God's eyes, there's a line. And it won't be healed, he says. It's frightening. It's, it causes you to think, Lord, help me to be tender towards you, not be obstinate, not be stubborn. Proverbs 29.1, don't need to turn there, I'll just read it to you. But it's, a, it's also a frightening verse. But it also shows the mercy of God. A man who hardens his neck after much reproof will suddenly be broken beyond remedy. Do you see the patience of God? After much reproof, God's been merciful to this man. He's sent people to him to reprove him. And stubbornness, hardness of neck, stubbornness, resisting the reproof, God says it's going to come suddenly. It's going to come suddenly. Suddenly broken beyond remedy. That is frightening. When brethren come to you about something of a concern, you need to be praying about it and seeking God about it, not resisting and holding them off. That is frightening that you could get into a state where you just are stubbornly resisting the counsel, stubbornly resisting the reproof. Dangerous. Here's one. Think about John the Baptist. He goes, he tells Herod, you need to quit your adultery with your brother's wife. That's sin. You need to quit, break that off. What happens to John the Baptist? He gets put in prison for it. He loses his head over it. Think about that. He was reproving Herod, and he gets put in prison and killed for it. Herod, in the meantime, goes on in his pomp and in his arrogance, puffed up. But in Acts 12, judgment comes on Herod. And this is how it is described in Acts 12, 21 through 23. On an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to him, to the, the people. The people kept crying out, the voice of a God, or the voice of a God, uh, not of a man. The problem was, is Herod thought the same thing. Herod was thinking, I'm not just a man. Look at the praise that people are bringing. I'm more than a man. Well, this is what it says. Immediately, immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and died. In your pomp, in your arrogance, in your sin, in your resistance to turning from the sin. God sends a disease on him that kills him. That day, now I don't know that he died that day, but that day the disease came. Suddenly, unexpectedly, 
immediately, it says. So, warnings. It's the grace of God and the mercy of God that he gives us warnings, brethren. It's for our good that he gives us warnings. But I want to talk to you about something else. Sometimes God in sudden in his appearance to show mercy to people that are not even seeking him. That's amazing. God suddenly appears to people that aren't even seeking him and reveals himself to him. Think of the Apostle Paul. Paul in Acts 9, he's, he's on the way to Damascus. You know the story. He's persecuting the church. He's threatening them. He's putting them in prison. I'm sure there were beatings. That's what, that's what Paul was doing. He thought he was serving God. But he wasn't. He wasn't seeking God. He was seeking status in his religion, maybe, but he wasn't seeking God. God appears to him, noontime, a bright light shines, a voice from heaven. He's knocked off his horse, and he's blinded. And God says, why are you persecuting me? Jesus says that. Why are you persecuting me? You know the story. He's taken and uh, prayed for and healed. And God commissions him to go and preach to the Gentiles, to preach the gospel. A sudden intervention of God in the life of Paul changed not only Paul's life, it changed the world. Sudden intervention by God, changing everything. When Paul's writing the letter to the Romans... In chapter 10, I am sure, I'm not positive, I don't know this for sure, but I can imagine Paul may have been thinking about his own conversion because this, listen to what he says, he's quoting Isaiah. This is in uh, Romans 10, 20. Better get to where my notes are. Um, Terry says, now, have you numbered them? <laughs> so I don't need a number. Um, this is what he says. He's quoting Isaiah. I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. As he's writing that, I can imagine Paul thinking, that was me. I was found. I wasn't seeking him. I was persecuting him. That was me. And he's writing this to the Romans. Here's one for you. Paul was a religious man. The Gerasene demoniac wasn't. He wasn't a religious man. He's living out among the tombs, naked, a wild man. They're trying to, can't even keep him chained. He breaks the chains. This is in Mark 5, by the way. And the Lord comes to him, and he he casts the demons out and he sets them free. And the description of this man is incredible at the end of the chapter. It says, it says he was clothed, seated at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind. Here's a wild man running around naked among the tombs, terrorizing people. He's sitting calmly and peacefully at Jesus' feet, clothed and in his right mind. Now, this is, that, that is wonderful. But listen to his, this is his request. The, the man who was just saved, rescued by Jesus. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. He did not let him, but Jesus did not let him. But Jesus said to him, Go home to your people and report to them what great things God has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. So here he is. The man goes back to his home. 
starts testifying of what great things Christ has done for me. He set me free. He's delivered me. Now, <clears throat> you all have had experiences, not maybe this dramatic, but you have had experiences of God coming to you when you may not have been seeking him, but he comes and he reveals himself in a way that totally changes your life. Changes your life. That's what happened to this man. We've heard testimonies up here. People bound up. Drugs, other things, bound up. Can't think clearly. God comes and gives them a, a new mind. He breaks the chains of the things that are binding them. It's, it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. And you don't, you know, when someone comes later, after they've been converted for a while, they'll come and they'll say, you mean you were like that? People can't believe it. Because there's such a transformation, there's a change. Um, it may not be instant, it may be a gradual beginning to those things dropping off, but that happens. There are people who have been converted for a long time and they start visiting with somebody about what they were like in their lost days, and the person says, oh, I can't see you doing that. I don't believe that. How can, I just can't picture that. That's happened to a lot of you. <clears throat> this ought to be a wonderful, wonderful encouragement to you to pray for those who seem, you love the people, family, friends, who seem so resistant and hardened to the gospel. They don't want anything to do with it. Well, such were some of you. But God, in his mercy and in his power, can break through the strongest of strong wills and break through the strongest holds that have been persons been held on to with sin. God can do that. So we go to God and we pray and we say, Lord, We've shared with them. We can't do anything, but you can. You can. I'm just like them. I'm cut from the same fabric. And you saved me. Have mercy on my loved ones. <clears throat> well, sometimes God will come to the Christian suddenly when he's seeking God. This is what Malachi says, Malachi 3.1. The Lord, the Lord whom you seek will come suddenly to you. That's amazing. The Lord whom you seek will come, suddenly come. Now, this passage, I don't want to take it out of context. I do believe it's referring to the coming of the Messiah. But I do not think it's a stretch to say that it can apply to us also. The Lord whom you seek will come, suddenly come. How does that happen? Well, sometimes when you're seeking God in prayer, it happens. God comes in an unusual way. The Holy Spirit comes and he quickens you to really be able to pray in faith and believe God for things in a in an way that you haven't done in the past. The Holy Spirit giving you utterance to pray, unction to pray. It's happened in prayer meetings, and I've experienced it. Some prayer meetings I've come to, I've been tired. You've been working. Of course, this was when I was working, and I was tired. Now I'm just tired. But, but you come to the prayer meeting, and you've been a day working, and you're tired. You're weary. You may be weighted down with things. And you come into the prayer meeting with these men and you get on your face before God. And somebody starts praying. And it's like the Holy Spirit comes. And you are energized in your own life. 
you're able to pray. You're able to pray in faith. I remember praying with Bob Jennings and feeling like just coming away from there like, man, this guy is really, God's real to him. And you'd be able to just enter in and pray with him. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will do that. He will energize your prayers, either yours or someone else's, and you're able to see things clearly. You're able to see God is able to do more than you can imagine. And so you pray in faith. Sometimes it's happened in meetings. Let me, let me share a meeting that it did happen in, in the Bible. Pentecost. <clears throat> They're just gathered. It's just the, child, the people of God gathered. What happens in Acts 2? Suddenly, a wind comes in. <laughs> the Holy Spirit comes. And when he comes, there's some effects of his coming. I want to just list three of them here. But this happens in our meetings. Sometimes not. Don't get me wrong. We're not, haven't had too many meetings like Pentecost. But... But the point is, is God can visit. Um, But this is what it says here. I thought this was really good. When the Holy Spirit comes in, they're filled with the Spirit. They're speaking in tongues. It says in verse 11, Cretans and Arabs, and he listed some others. um, We hear them in our own tongue, speaking of the mighty deeds of God. See, when the Holy Spirit comes and visits, people start glorifying God. They worship God. They're, they want to talk about the mighty deeds of God. God is exalted. That's an evidence of the Holy Spirit helping, even in our little meeting. When the Holy Spirit comes and helps, the Lord is exalted. And people are testifying of what God has done. Not what they've done, what God has done. Then you know the story. People start accusing them of being drunk because they're speaking in tongues and it's quite a commotion. <clears throat> Peter gets up and says, no, that's not, they're not drunk. And then he begins to preach to them. And then this is what happens <clears throat> in verse 37 when Peter, after Peter's done preaching. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? There was conviction of sin. People were convicted of their sin. And they wanted to know what to do. And so Peter tells them, he shares the gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Be baptized in his name for the forgiveness of your sins. And they were. And many were saved. So another evidence of the Holy Spirit coming and speaking and being present with you in a meeting is people get convicted. They may not speak out like these people did. They get convicted in their heart. And some of them go home and begin to seek God. That's evidence of the Holy Spirit helping, coming when you're seeking God. And then the other one I thought was very encouraging is the end of the chapter. And he talks about, um, talks about uh, them sharing things that were in common with one another, a unity, hospitality, breaking bread with one another. They list a number of things, and it's just like there's a sense in which the saints are encouraged. The saints are encouraged. The believers are encouraged when God comes and visits a meeting. There's great encouragement among the believers. <clears throat> so, sometimes you may, um, we may experience that. It may not be in a big, big moving thing. It may be, and this has happened more than once. It's not the preacher preaching. Somebody stands up and says, I would like Lance shared a verse this morning. And somebody on the other side of the room says, It may be just the verse they need, 
But as God begins to move and help you as you seek him, you share something, and lo and behold, he uses it in the life of someone else to glorify himself, maybe to convict them, maybe to encourage them. But something, it's the body ministering through the spirit one to another in the meetings. Sometimes God comes to you when you're reading the Bible on your own, just at home. There's a special sense of you've read it, read it, read it, and now you're reading it, and it's like you have a fuller understanding, a deeper understanding of the implications of this verse for your own life. And your eyes are opened a little bit more to what the truth is. Well, last point. I'll try to not go on too much with this. The suddenness of God coming when you aren't necessarily seeking him. What I mean by that is you aren't in prayer meeting, you're not praying, you're not reading your Bible, you're not going to a church meeting, you're going to work. You're at home, doing your duties at home. You're just going about life, and you've committed your life to the Lord. You've asked God to lead you and direct you, and you walk in faith, trusting that he's going to do that. And sometimes, unexpectedly, he surprises you with things that happen. Let me explain. Zacharias was a priest. He's going into the temple to offer, by lot, his name was chosen, going into the temple to offer sacrifice. And when he, just, it's the normal, it's the normal routine for the priest. He goes in and suddenly an angel appears to him. And it affects him. Tells him about a son and he's going to, he can't talk until, until John is born. He can't talk. Luke 2. Got these shepherds. All they're doing is just taking care of their sheep. Watching over their flocks. And suddenly, a host of angels <laughs> in the sky. And they are terrified God comes, appears to them, and announces the birth of Christ. They're just going about their normal business. Here's one that some of you can probably relate to. There's two guys, two men, and they're very dejected. They're very discouraged. They're walking on the road to Emmaus. They're discouraged because the Messiah has been killed. The Messiah, who they've looked for, has been buried. He's dead. And the Lord joins them. And you know the story. They get to their destination, and as they're breaking bread, the Lord opens their eyes to see that it was Jesus. And it says in there, when he was talking to us, our hearts were burning within us. They were so encouraged. They walked seven miles. They were weary. They were so encouraged. They turned around and walked seven miles back so that they can tell people. They've been energized. They're excited. The Lord's alive. Maybe you've been in that place of great discouragement. And a brother or sister comes to you and shares something from the word or has a word of encouragement for you. And it like it just changes you. Your, your day has changed. Your perspective has changed. That's what happened with these men. Their whole perspective has changed. He wasn't dead. He's alive. <clears throat> so we have those types of interventions. Here's one <clears throat> that I thought was really significant. Philip is in Samaria preaching. And he's on his way back to Jerusalem. They've been going to little villages in the region of Samaria preaching the gospel. And their intent is to go back to Jerusalem. 
And an angel redirects Philip and says, I want you to go down this road to Gaza. Philip did not say, well, I got to get back to Jerusalem. Uh, I don't think that's, I'm going back to Jerusalem. He went down that road. The angel told him to go down that road. Didn't tell him why. He just said, go down the road. So he did. And he comes upon this Ethiopian in his wagon or cart or whatever it was. And he's sitting up in the, the seat reading from Isaiah. And the Holy Spirit prompts Philip to get up in there and he shares the gospel with him. The man's converted, baptized, goes back to Ethiopia, a changed man. Now, has that ever happened where God has redirected you to go over here and opened up some conversation with somebody or opened up an opportunity to help somebody when they were really hurting there's been, there's been examples of people who have persons very discouraged and a person, Christian, just goes up and starts sharing with them and it just opens up more opportunities later on. Some of you at work who are under stress, people notice, listen, people notice when you, how you handle things more than you're aware of. When you're walking with God and you're in touch with God and you're just wanting to serve God and walk humbly with him, you're not trying to do something spectacular. You're just trying to walk with God. And stressful situations occur. People notice that you don't respond the same way a lot of other people respond. And oftentimes that is an avenue. There's a door opens up for conversations and you get to tell them. I wasn't always like this. The Lord, Lord has really changed me, let me tell you. And so you have opportunities. It's wonderful. Open doors, redirection. You know, one of the things on redirecting is when, God, when you have your plans, like Philip did, you always want to hold your plans like this, not like this, because God may redirect he may redirect you somewhere. So don't be so rigid in your plans. I've got to hold on. Ask God. Seek God. Well, <clears throat> again, should be a real encouragement for just being faithful in our daily life, serving God. He may at times surprise us with unexpected mercies and visitations. Terry gave me this line from a hymn that I thought was really appropriate. It says, sometimes a light surprises a Christian as he sings. It is the Lord who rises with healing in his wings. So you're just going on and the Lord surprises you. Whatever situation we find ourselves in, we need to remember that God can and does suddenly change things. We need to remind ourselves that when we get discouraged and begin to doubt and things seem like things are never going to change, nothing is going to be different, you need to remember that Jesus is the difference maker, not you. Jesus is the difference maker. And so we obey. He uses us to minister but ultimately, Jesus is the one that makes the difference. And this is what Paul says in Ephesians, and I'll kind of close with this. Ephesians 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, think of this superlatives. He, he can't put enough of them in. He's able to do, could have just said far more. No, far more abundantly beyond another one. It's like he's, he's got, he just can't find the words to say 
how much God can do. He can do far more abundantly beyond all that we can ask, but more than that, all that we can think. <laughs> it's amazing. Amazing. So the Bible, when you read the Bible, be looking for events and how God suddenly intervenes in people's lives. He does intervene in the affairs of men. Sometimes he does it in judgment. Sometimes he does it for deliverance, what he did with the Gerizim demoniac. Sometimes just to show mercy, compassion on people. Lord did that all the time. When he would see someone hurting, he would show compassion on them and mercy toward them. But always it's for his glory. When he suddenly intervenes, it's always for the glory of God. Well, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for invading our lives and changing us. Thank you that when we weren't seeking you, you suddenly appeared to us. Thank you, Lord, for your many, many deliverances of protections from various snares that we could have gotten involved in, and yet you directed them away from us and protected us. Lord, help us to have tender hearts, not, not, Lord, we do not want to be as those men in Proverbs who resist you and are stubborn towards you when you're calling us to repent or do something. Lord, help us to be quick, quick to hear you and quick to obey, quick to submit. Thank you for your word, Lord. That's such a great encouragement to our hearts. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that comes into our midst, comes into our lives, helps us, gives us fresh vision and glimpse of who you are and who we are and how weak we are and how strong you are. Just thank you for this time with the saints today. Lord, help us to view this as a especially precious time to be with the brethren like it was there in the book of Acts to really encourage one another and to testify of what great things you've done in our lives. Thank you in Christ's name. Amen.